Let's be seated. Thank you. Uh, we're going to turn again in uh, God's Word, please, to uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 8. And we're going to read a few verses from verse 12 uh, through to verse 30. John's Gospel, chapter 8, and starting at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees then said to him, You are bearing witness to yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness to myself, my testimony is true, for I know whence I have come and whither I am going. But you do not know whence I come or whither I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone that judge, but I and he who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I bear false witness to myself. I, sorry, I bear witness to myself and the Father who sent me bears witness to me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Again he said to them, I go away and you will seek me and die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Even what I have told you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he spoke thus, many believed in him. And we'll end our reading there, and uh, God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just pray a moment before we we, um, have a look at this. Heavenly Father, we just pray now as we come to to look at your word and what you have to say to us through it. Father, we pray that you'll bless it to us. And Father, that we may go away from this place this evening, having been blessed by the the Holy Spirit and by uh, being enriched by, by your word. And Father, we just pray that you'll just continue with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Seven times in John's Gospel, Jesus said the words, I am. Um, Firstly, we have it here, well, we're we're looking at this passage tonight in in chapter 8, 
But there are several other um, verses and passages in, in John's Gospel where Jesus uses the expression, I am. The first one is, in I think uh, Paul is maybe going to put them up on the screen. Just uh, You don't need to turn them up, but we'll just refer to them uh, for a moment. Um, in, in chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Then in chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And in the same chapter, in verse 11, a couple of verses down, he just says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then in chapter 11, in, in verses 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then that very well-known verse in chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then in, in chapter 15 and verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So we see seven times, there are seven occasions where Jesus refers to himself as I am. In each of these magnificent metaphors, the phrase I am harkens, harkens back um, to when God prepared, or so appeared to Moses in, in the burning bush. After Moses is informed that he'll lead God's people out of Egypt, he wants to know what to say when people ask him about God's name. And God answers in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 when he says, I am who I am. God told Moses then, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So you see, this is a, an expression that God himself used, the Father used. I am who I am. I am is God's covenantal name. This title was so sacred that it was only uttered by the high priest, and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement. It literally means I am who I am, and signals the truth that nothing else defines God but God himself. Every time Jesus uses one of the I am metaphors, he's emphatically stating that he is Yahweh, he is God. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't like that because they don't think Jesus was God. They deny the Trinity. It's a staggering statement of his sovereign supremacy. Just as the bush burned brightly and cast light all round, so too Jesus is the light of the world. And he used the phrase, I am, on purpose. Uh, and those who heard didn't miss the obvious connection that he was making. So this statement here in chapter 8, which we're sort of more, more or less focusing on tonight a little bit, I am the light of the world. It riled the Pharisees. They didn't like it. And they interrupt Jesus at least 10 times in John chapter 8. As we read through the passage there, we see that they kept asking questions and kept interrupting him. Uh, if you just flick over uh, to verse 53 in the same chapter, 
there's a couple of verses here where they ask, the Pharisees ask a pointed question in verse 53. <clears throat> and they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus pushes them further in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. They don't know how to respond and sarcastically reply in verse 57, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? They couldn't understand. But Jesus isn't finished yet and look at verse 58. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And verse 59 then says that we're, we're, they were about to pick up stones, to cast stones at him, but Jesus slipped away. Um, he just slipped away out of sight. And here in, in uh, verse 12, right at the start, Jesus uh, is not saying that he's holding the light. He's not saying that he has the light. He's not saying that he's the way to the light. He's saying... I am the light. He's unequivocally stating it. I am the light. Let's look a little bit at the properties of light. Firstly, light reveals. It enables us to see things that were there all along. But because of darkness, we couldn't see them. And before we came to know the Lord as our Savior, we were in darkness, in spiritual darkness. We couldn't see. We couldn't see the way. We couldn't see our way at all until the light of Christ came into our lives. I visit, I have family uh, down in County Cavan, as you know, and uh, go down there quite regularly to visit. <laughs> and last summer, uh, we took a little trip um, to a place called Arigna. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's in County Roscommon, the county down below Cavan. And there's an old coal mine there. Uh, it's probably the only one, I think, that was in Ireland uh, that produced coal. And uh, now it's open as a, a tourist attraction. They've actually, um, they're able to, to visit the mine and go into the mine. And you get a guided tour by one of the former mine workers who actually worked in the place. It's quite unusual in the sense that when you go to a mine, you expect to go down underground way underground but in this particular mine it was actually on a mountain in a mountain where you actually go straight into the mountain you, you don't go down as such okay so you go right into it it's quite quite an unusual place <clears throat> and while we we're in there we had the grandkids with us and there's all their families and people all on the on the tour and when we got up to the the coal face basically where the where the workers would have worked. It was so low, um, well, you can imagine with my height, it wasn't the most comfortable experience in there, but you were crouched well down, and uh, we came right up to the coal face, and every 50 yards or so, there were little lights just dotted here and there along the, this, this mine shaft. And it showed the way to a certain extent, but then the, the, the guide then says, now, I don't want anyone to be afraid but I'm going to put the lights out for a second or two. Do you see just what the kind of conditions were like in here uh, whenever men were working here? And he put the lights out. And 
the kids all started screaming and some of them were all totally afraid. But it was total, total darkness. I never experienced you know, a, a darkness as, 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 a, as black as your boot. It really was. Uh, you could not see a thing. And it was just amazing just that those little lights just illuminated the mine. Um, C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun, not only because I see it, but because by it all things are seen. Secondly, then, light gives life. Light is necessary for life itself. It sets our biological clocks. It triggers sensations of color in our brain. You've heard of the, the uh, there's a, a disorder called seasonal affective disorder or SAD syndrome. People who don't get enough sunlight at times can go into a depressed state and it causes depression. Only 1% of people who live in Florida suffer from this, surprisingly. Uh, Florida gets the sun quite a lot. But over 10% of people who live in Alaska or northern Scandinavia or Russia suffer from depression due to lack of sunshine. And uh, I know that from visiting my son when he lived in, in Sweden, uh, in the winter months, he would say that the, it started to get dark at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and most of the time, and that was in southern Sweden, so in northern Sweden, like they, they just really had a, a darkness virtually all the time. And many of them, many turned to alcohol or turned to other things um, for relief from the depression of having no sunlight. So light gives us life. Thirdly, light scatters darkness. In scripture, darkness is often a metaphor for sin and spiritual blindness and death. And in John's Gospel 1 and verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light gives warmth. One small candle properly reflected can raise the temperature of an igloo from below freezing to over 45 degrees, believe it or not. In the Bible, warmth is often equated with the comfort of God. In Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 7, it says, Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Next, life prov- or light provides guidance. It helps us to see where we're going. I said up in Cavan as well, when you go out at night, there are no streetlights. It's a farm on a, on a little country road. And when there's no uh, moon or the... Or the it's, it's totally black, and, and people have to walk around with a torch to see their way. Psalm 43 and verse 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. So let's look at light in Scripture a little bit. God's first act was to create light, wasn't it? And God said in Genesis, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. He created light to dispel darkness. In Exodus 10 and verses 21 to 23, I'll just maybe turn to that, just to refer to that. In Exodus 10, 21 to 23, where there was a plague of darkness. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. 
So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. For three days they did not see one another, nor did any rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they dwelt. So God had control of the light and the darkness, and he sent a plague of darkness on the people. But the Israelites had light where they dwelt. After God had appeared to Moses, saying, I am who I am, he did an amazing thing. He turned the lights out and they, on the Egyptians. He, he turned, turned the lights out totally on them. Also in chapter 13 and verse 21, God promised to lead the children of Israel for 40 years with bright light at night and a smoky cloud during the day. They never had to be afraid of the dark. One of the names of the coming Messiah was Light. And in Daniel 2 and verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. If God's first act was to create light, then his final act will be splashed with the wonderful uh, culmination of his work of redemption. In Revelation 21 and 20, uh, Revelation 21 verses 23 and 24. It says, and the, city, uh, and the city had no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light shall the nations walk, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. That's wonderful, isn't it? You know, that we'll have no need of any other light, only the glorious light of God. There'll be no need for lights or lamps, or the sun for the Lord will be their light and he will reign forever. Getting back to Jesus' starting claim, uh, I am the light of the world, let's look at the context here. In the previous chapter in John 7, Jesus attends the Feast of Tabernacles. This is, uh, part of this celebration involved pouring water onto the ground, commemorating the water that came out of the rock in Numbers 17. On the last day of the feast, while people are watching the water splash on the stones in the temple, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice in verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now in chapter 8, Jesus asserts that he is the light of the world, hearkening back to the pillar of fire that led God's people in the desert. Jesus deliberately associated himself with these images in three consecutive chapters in order to establish his identity. He said he was the bread of life. He said he's the water of life and the light of life. The Feast of Tabernacles, to understand the full impact of Jesus' statement, we need to understand a little bit about the Feast of Tabernacles. God inaugurated this feast to help the Israelites remember that for four days, they wandered in the wilderness before they were finally brought into the promised land. Two things distinguish this feast from other celebrations. Firstly, for seven days the entire nation camped out in booths or tents made of branches or foliage to remind them of the hardships that their ancestors had endured in the wilderness. On the opening night of the celebration, four gigantic candelabras, 75 foot high, were lit gloriously illuminating the entire temple and much of Jerusalem. Each candelabra for this feast had four branches, 
supplied by golden bowls filled with ten gallons of oil. These flames leapt towards the sky. Throughout the week, the light burned brightly as religious leaders praised the Lord and sang songs of joy while the people watched and waited. Musicians played, harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets. The festival was to remind the Israelites of the glory of God dwelling among them and how God's brightness had once filled the temple. This celebration also focused on the promise of God to send a light, the anointed one, the Messiah, who would deliver them from darkness and despair. Sacrifices were offered, and scriptures like Isaiah 9 and verse 2 were read. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This wonderful imagery of this celebration culminates on the final day of the feast as Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's amazing about his timing is that as the celebration wraps up, all the lights are extinguished. The reason for this is that in their minds, God has not yet sent the Savior. The temple has grown dark, the tents are down, and then Jesus stands up and declares that he is the Messiah. One more little point in John 1.14, Jesus says, the word, the word became flesh, or John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is exactly what they were celebrating in this feast of tabernacles. Folks, we have been called out of darkness into light, haven't we? We have that light dwelling in us. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And, uh, which t- in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, what are some of the things that can keep us from fully sh- uh, shining for Christ? David, this morning, was, was telling us about our testimony, how we need to have a good testimony among those who we, we work with and uh, associate with. And it's, it's important that we shine for Christ because we have the light of Christ in our hearts. Firstly, stop covering up your light. Are you doing something that's snuffing out the light of Christ in your life? Matthew 5 and verses 15 and 16 says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The whole purpose of shining our light is to give glory to God. And we can do this in a corporate way as well. And it's it's interesting. I play a bit of tennis. And uh, down at night time in the winter months, we have the places, we have floodlights all around the courts. And some nights, one night during the winter, a couple of the floodlights just went out. And it's amazing just that that little corner of the the courts was covered in darkness. And you couldn't see really too good. I don't see the ball too well these days anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it just a certain number of lights going out just affected the whole way that you played the game. And it can be the same, I think, even if we think in a church setting. If a few of our brothers or sisters are missing, there are certain little lights that aren't here, aren't there? The place, place is a little dimmer because the people aren't here. So uh, we our light can shine individually and it can shine corporately as a body of God's people. 
Secondly, we've got to make sure you're plugged in. A light won't shine if it's not plugged in. You can't grow if you're not plugged into God. How are we plugged into God? Through our prayer, through reading his word, and through meeting with God's people. Then your very face should shine with the reflection of God, of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. A Hindu trader in India once asked a missionary, what do you put on your face to make it shine? With surprise, the man of God answered, I don't put anything on it. The questioner began to lose patience and said emphatically, yes, you do. All of you who believe in Jesus seem to have it. I've seen it in the towns of Agra and Surat and even in the city of Mumbai. Suddenly the Christian understood and his face glowed even more as he said, now I know what you mean and I will tell you the secret. It's not something we put on from outside but something that comes from within. It's the reflection of the light of God in our hearts. I had a a little experience of that uh, I was over in the hospital a few weeks ago uh, having a little checkup, and it caused me to be in A&E for the whole night sitting on a chair which wasn't a great lot of fun but um, in the ward there were several beds there was about 15 beds all around and I was patient number 17 so I didn't get a bed (laughs) so I had to spend uh, the time on a chair they were monitoring to see and my blood sugars and things like that were a bit low so they were keeping an eye on me but in the bed opposite just directly facing where I was sitting there was a guy who was lying there and he started talking he was talking to anybody basically who would talk to him and he was he was talking to him and he turned around to me I was sitting just opposite him and he said to me you're a Christian aren't you <laughs> I said well, how do you know that I said, yes, I said, actually, yes, I am. But how, how, would, how did you know? He says, I just know to look at you. And I, I, I sort of, like, it, it sort of took me back a little bit. And he sort of, he said, you know, he said, there's just, he said, there's something about, about you just, you know. That, the guy, actually, as it turned out, was, a, he had an alcohol problem. I think he was a, probably, a, he was a regular um, customer up in the, in the Ulster Hospital there, I think, and he, um, when my wife came up to visit me, she said, yeah, that guy's in and out. I remember him when I was nursing there. He was in and out all the time. Uh, and later that evening, he did a disappearing act. He just did a runner and left, you know. But I couldn't help. It, it, it played on my mind because I, I said to him as well, like, yeah, I said, I am a Christian. And you, you can know the same God as well. You can have that light in your life as well, you know. And he, he just... You know, I don't know what became of him or where he is, you know. But um, it, it sort of stuck with me, really, that even though we don't know it, you know, where we work and where we are, we have something that shows in our very face, I think, that we are a Christian. People can see it in us. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing that we have. We have the light of Christ in our, in our lives. And we don't want to extinguish that light at all. Thirdly, get charged daily. Is your light growing dim? The only way to burn bright is by getting recharged and rejuvenated by spending daily time in the Word of God. The Psalm, the wonderful Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
And then this morning, David David showed us the verse. Uh, we had a, a verse up on the board in Matthew from Matthew five and fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Finally, notice just after I am the light of the world, he says, "Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Anyone can come to him. He died for the sins of everyone. No matter what you've done." you can be forgiven. And John 12 and 46 says, I've come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So let's make sure that we're plugged in to Christ. Let our light shine here in Dundonald. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's speak to all around who, in a dark, dark world who need the light of Jesus in a world of darkness and sin. May God help us to do this for his name's sake. Amen. Um, We're going to sing our closing piece then. Um, May the peace of God, our Heavenly Father.